Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. I'll be reading from the New International Version, and you can find this passage on page 73 in the Pew Bible. But you, I'll give you just a second to find all that. Again, that's Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the, seventh, the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor shall you, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Ron. That was so good. As you heard me mention earlier, Pastor Matt and his family are away for a few days. Uh, they are actually worshiping together with his mom today at her church. So as you can imagine, she is one happy mama because that doesn't happen very often. And uh, we are so glad that he's able to have that time with them. Um, and in his absence, we are blessed to have Kevin, Kevin Meilenberg, uh, bring the message this morning. Kevin is the director of missions for our Gambrel Association, uh, which we are a part of. And he is a familiar face. And so we're glad to have him here with us this morning and his wife, Kelly. So Kevin, if you would just come. Amen. Thank you, Rosemary, for that introduction. It is good to be here. Uh, your pastor and I had go way back. He invited me. We were pastored together in the Blankwood Association. 
he invited me to be his supervisor for his master's degree, uh, wrapping up that study. So I got to get to know him and be encouraged by him and with him. And Matt serves at the, as the moderator right now for the Gamble Association. So we spend a lot of time together. He's got a support group of young pastors here. So I thank God for your pastor. I'm glad he had an opportunity to get away and that he was uh, trustworthy enough, to, trusting in me enough to invite me to preach today. I asked him if there was anything he wanted me to preach on. He said, y'all, we're reading through the Old Testament, and you just started the place where you're reading about the Ten Commandments, so that might be an appropriate message. So we're going to see what we can do with that today. I prayed much about how to present this. There's so much that we can do as we look at the study. As I, I thought about the Ten Commandments here. I thought about a symphony concert that I've attended several times, and you show up. If you show up early, you get to hear the orchestra warm up. You know what that sounds like? Sounds like chaos. Each instrument's playing their own their own tune. Maybe you have the the horns. The brass section is playing a, a John Philip Sousa march to get warmed up. Maybe you have the violins over here. They're playing some kind of concerto. Uh, you have the wind instruments doing something else, and it really just sounds like chaos with all this noise on the stage. And then the conductor walks out. He steps up. He has them stop. Everybody gets quiet, and then he introduces whatever that song is. And there's suddenly this great theme, a, a melody that comes out of this orchestra because they have a conductor, they have a common melody, they have a common theme as they relate together. And that chaos is interrupted by continuity. That chaos is interrupted by this theme that emerges as they play. The Ten Commandments offer mankind that same kind of theme, that, that continuity, a direction. Uh, morality is timeless, and as you read, as, as Ron just read those Ten Commandments to us, it's just a, a reminder again that there are certain things that are always right and certain things that are always wrong. So the deliverance of the, the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel fit in the history of the people of God. Some have said that this is the most significant moment in the life of the children of Israel. Others have even said this is the most significant moment in history for those general, uh, those uh, unspoken rules and... and uh, mandates in nature that moral law to be actually written in stone someone said that it was actually written in nature before it was finally written in stone i think that's a good way of looking at that this great event where god has delivered the children of israel from bondage in egypt you've been reading about that hopefully as you go through your daily bible reading he's delivered them from egypt and now they're in the promised land he he once he's delivered them he begins to encourage them and nurture them and then he brings them to the place where he delivers this Word to them, the Ten Commandments. Literally, it's the, the Decalogue or the Ten Words in the original language there. And he gives those to the people not to begin his relationship with them. He already delivered them. He already has a relationship with them. But the Ten Commandments come in to be a way of, of God saying to his people, this is who I am and this is how we are going to relate to one another. So F.B. Meyer said this, these, these commands engraved on nature long before they were on stone. Josh McDowell said, every human culture known to man has a moral law. And we find it in the records of past cultures and in all societies. What God did was God had already put that in the heart of mankind. And now through Moses, he writes it down so that they can read it. So I'm going to look at the Ten Commandments and kind of give us a big picture, first of all. See how it fits in the law of God in the Old Testament. Then we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, basically what they say and how they can be seen. And not, not as prohibitions, but as an affirmation and encouragement to us as we walk in, in relationship with God. 
We'll talk about some key truths about how they relate to salvation in our walk with Him. And then look at some pictures, some word pictures that might help you as a follower of Christ as you relate to the Ten Commandments. So first of all, understand that there are two divisions in the law. You have the Decalogue, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments here. And then you have the 600 plus ceremonial laws that take up the rest of the, 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 the text from Exodus 21 all the way through the book of Numbers. All of those comprise what the, the Bible calls the law. As you read the, the prophets, as you read the, the statements made by the psalmist about the law, that's what it's referring to. As Jesus referred to the law, he was referring to that. So you have those two divisions, the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law. And the Ten Commandments were given to the people of God. We'll talk about this over and over again this morning. Were given to the people of God to show how they relate to God. And then those ceremonial laws really helped set the children of Israel apart from the rest of the culture that they lived in. So if we look at the Ten Commandments, if you have your Bibles, I hope you would open them to uh, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to walk through this passage together and look at the breakdown. If you were to take the Ten Commandments, they can be divided into two sections. The first section is the vertical. These, these statements about our relationship as followers of Christ with God. And then you have the next five that talk about our relationship with mankind. Those first four that begin in verse 2, uh, verse 3, and all the way down to verse 8, 9, and 10, speaking of our relationship with God. And then verses, verses 12 through 17, those other commands relate to our relationship with other people. So let's just walk through these. First of all, these first four commands dealing with our relationship with God. There are to be, first of all, in verse 3, no other gods before God. No other gods, little g. There are to be no other, other things that, that uh, take our worship but God himself. In verse 4 through 6, he states that there are to be no idols. In verse 7, there's a statement of not misusing the name of the Lord. Some of translations have said, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. It's much more than that. Don't misuse his name. Then you have in uh, 8 through 11, this uh, admonition that we as followers of Christ are to obey the Sabbath, to, to practice the Sabbath, to, to rest. We'll talk about that. And then verse uh, eight, uh, 12, honor your father and mother. Verse 13, to be there to be no murder. Verse 14, no adultery. Verse 15, no stealing. Verse um, 16, do not give false testimony or false witness. And then verse 17, there's to be no coveting. As we, as we read this, you have, some have seen the Ten Commandments as the thou shalt nots. And they focus on the prohibitions there. Well, I want us to, to take to the, a moment this morning and focus on the positive of these Ten Commandments. So we're going to look at these quickly, the, the benefits of the Ten Commandments. How, how is it that God gives us these as a part of our relationship with Him, that we're to live an abundant life? And let's, let's walk through those again, one at a time. When God says there are to be no other gods before Him, here's what He's saying in that first commandment. He is to be the center of our universe. He is to be the source. He's to be the foundation of our life. I am to, as a follower of Christ, I'm to spend my time focusing on my relationship with Him, focusing on worshiping Him. He is to be preeminent. He's to be the priority. That verse, first, the first verse there in chapter 20, the God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He reminds them who He is. He reminds them what He's done. He reminds them how He set them apart before He begins to give them these ten commands these ten commandments i love the passage in deuteronomy deuteronomy chapter six where the shema is stated where the lord through moses says hero israel the lord is our our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your might that's what he's saying in this passage of scripture that's what the first commandment is no other gods before you we are to keep him completely totally the focus the foundation of our life is he 
You say, well, Pastor Kevin, I've been a Christian for many years, and let me just step back and think about that. As I look back on my Christian life, has he been the focus? Has my relationship with God been the focus of that, or has it it gotten clouded out and crowded out by other things? So when God says, have no other gods before me, he's to be the center, the foundation of my life. The second command, when the, 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 the word is written down, we're to have no idols. No idols in verse 4 through 6. God is reminding us not to replace him with anything else. You might say, well, we live in a culture that we don't have idols like they did back in the day and time where Moses wrote this. Oh, yes, we do. An idol is anything that takes your heart, your passion, your focus, your desires. Anything you treasure more than your relationship with God. That opens the door up, doesn't it? When God says no idols, he's saying there's not to be anything else that replaces me. Jesus is, is Lord. God is number one. When he's number one, everything else falls into place. There to be no idols. So he tells us who he is. He, we worship who he is, and then he tells us how to worship him by placing our emphasis not on other things that value the, the treasure, but to focus on him and him alone. The third command, not to misuse his name in verse 7 there. When he says, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Here's what he's saying. God is to be honored. He's to be glorified. We're to to worship him in reverence. Not to take him lightly. Not to take our relationship with him lightly. Don't misuse his name. Don't do anything. Either an attitude of the heart or an action that would show that God is not the most important person in your life. Remembering the Sabbath, the fourth command there, and he gives an explanation of it in verse 8, 9, 10, and 11 of what the Sabbath means to the children of Israel. Well, here's what what God is saying when he says to us, remember the Sabbath. He's saying we're to, to practice a healthy, holy balance in our lives where we take time to rest, where we take time to reflect, where we take time to, to have Sabbath with the Lord. Not to be so busy, and we live in a very busy world, but that the Sabbath reminder is that there's a time and a place to stop, to pause, and it can be a holy thing, especially when we make our focus on the Lord. Then he says, honor your father and mother. He's reminding us to to have proper honor in the home. God has given us parents. There's this emphasis of the family here that it is to be a special place. He's telling us family roles are important. Family is important. Then in verse 7, or, or the commandment number 7 in verse 14, do not commit adultery. Here's what he's saying when he tells us that. He's reminding us that we are to, to have a, a mindset that, um, oh, I skipped one, didn't I? Number 6 is do not murder. <laughs> he's letting us know that life is to be sacred, to, we're to value human life. Then do not commit adultery. We're to guard sexuality to be in the, the proper place in the, in the context of a, of a husband and wife marriage relationship. And look at our culture now. That one's completely ignored, isn't it? But he's reminding us of that, the importance of that. Do not steal in the next commandment. That's to remind us to have a proper view of possessions and not to be greedy. Do not give false testimony. That's the importance of trustworthiness and truth in this culture. Well, I think about that. Look at, uh, if you think about our society of all the counterfeits that are out there, whether it's fake news or fake something else, God reminds us in his word to be trustworthy and to be truthful Do not covet the last one there. Basically, he's reminding us to be content with what we have. Are you content with what you have? Somebody said, how much is enough? Well, one more dollar is enough. How much, at what point do you become content with what you have? That's really a question every believer should be asking themselves. 
So God gives us these commandments to protect us, to help guard us uh, from, from harm, and also to challenge us and encourage us to live a full, abundant life in Christ because he wants us to focus on those key truths. So let's just talk about the law today for us specifically. What is the purpose of the law today? First of all, I've got uh, several things I want to highlight there. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. God led his people into a love relationship with himself. When I think about the Ten Commandments, here's what God is saying. He's saying to the people, I love you, I've led you out of Egypt, and now I'm establishing this love relationship with you. It is all about relationship. Many times we read the Old Testament, you might be reading the laws and reading the commandments, and it might seem more about rules and regulations and laws to you and rules and, and, a, and a formal religion. But what God wanted the people to know is it is not about just religion. It's about this relationship with your Heavenly Father. He delivered them, and now He delivers the, the Ten Commandments to them. It's a unique relationship. It's made possible because God loved us and sent His only Son to die on the cross in our place. When I look at the Ten Commandments, one of the first things I need to understand is God is letting me know as a, as a follower of Christ, as a, now the people of God, God initiated this love relationship with us. You know, the Bible is clear in Romans chapter 5. While we were yet sinners, you know how the rest of that verse goes? Christ died for us. When you and I were separated from God, rebelling against God, going our own way, making sure that our life was all about us and our idols and our number one, God loved us enough to send His only Son to die on a cross in our place. He established that love relationship. So even when I go back to the Ten Commandments and I go back to this basic moral law that God restates for us here, I need to understand it comes from the heart of God who loves me, who initiated that relationship with me and wants me to walk in obedience with that. The second thing about this passage of Scripture that really helps us understand its application today is these commands give us a sense of what it means to be the people of God. What does it really mean to be a follower of Christ? The children of Israel were the people of God in that day, but now this side of the cross, we're the people of God. What does it mean to be the people of God? It's very clear as God gives us his word here and and the rest of the Old Testament law as it's laid out there. That we are to stand separate from our culture. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ today? Well, think about what it meant to be a follower of God in the days of the children of Israel. They were countercultural. As you read the rest of those ceremonial laws, those clean laws that had to do with everything that they were to clean themselves from to be able to come to worship. When when you read all about that, you say, boy, God was saying to them, you're not going to be like the culture around you. And what he tried to do is he tried to build a a guardrail around his people so they wouldn't be contaminated by the culture around them. Not to intermarry with the pagans, not to adopt the idolatry of the pagans. Well, look at us today. It's just a reminder for us today that we are different than our culture. It's pretty scary when you look at the statistics whether it's talking about divorce or it's talking about drug abuse or talking about any major uh, sin, you, there's a hard line. I mean, it's a, a, very, a very blurred line between the culture and the church today. We have so much identified with the culture, adapted to and with the culture, that we really don't look like anything unique. We look like the culture. We'll say more about that in a minute. Jesus said this. He said to his disciples, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Then he says, let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. It's what the, God was saying in the Ten Commandments here. It's what he's saying to us. Our life should be such that when the world looks at us, they see a difference and they should want what we have. Do you know that the purpose of the, the people of God in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, when God called them out to be a people, his desire for them was so that they would be like a city on a hill? That the rest of the world would look at Israel and say, that God they worship, that's the God we need to worship. And you'll read through your Bible and you'll find many rulers came to that conclusion. But that was the desire of God for his people. That the rest of the world would look at Israel and say, we need to worship the God they worship. Now, you read the story, you're reading through the Old Testament, you know it didn't work that way. They would, they would have a place of preeminence where they followed the Lord and then they would do what was right in their own eyes. When you get to the book of Judges, that's very evident. They weren't standing alone from the culture. They were not a city set on a hill. My own personal testimony is that I saw a changed life and I wanted what that changed life was. My parents came to know Christ before I was born. Uh, life took over projects and work and kept my parents out of church for a while. And then I watched my parents renew their walk with Christ. And become totally committed and sold out for the Lord. I watched my dad take his Bible out daily and pray and read it with my mom. And they pray together. And at this time I'm a teenager. And I'm watching this dramatic, drastic change in the life of my parents. And I can remember thinking and saying out loud, God, I I don't know you. Because I did not know him as personal savior. But something's happened to my parents. I want what they have. And I came to know Christ because my parents walked with Christ, and I saw that, and I hungered for what they had. Now, they, they shared Christ with me, but they didn't preach at me because they knew, they knew you have to be careful with a teenage boy who's rebellious. You need to love him, and you need to model him, and that's exactly what they did. So that's a, a picture of what the Ten Commandments remind us of. We are to be a light to the world so that they will want to worship our God like we do. You may be, hold on to your seats, the best Christian someone knows. Is your life so reflecting the life of Christ, your relationship with God, so that those people around you want what you have? That's the goal. These commands remind us of that. This is what it means to be the people of God. Third thing, in these commandments, God showed his people how to love him. How to love him. These first four commands that deal with with, uh, man's relationship to God... He gives these commands just to help us to know what it means to worship him. When he says, have no idols, he's saying, this is what what worship is all about. When you come to worship me, whether it's corporate worship like this or whether it's individual worship, when you come to worship me, come with an open heart. Come with a sense of transparency. Come with a sense of hunger and thirst. What would it look like if every Sunday morning you showed up with this attitude, Lord, I want to hear from you today. Not, Lord, I hope they sing my favorite song. Or I hope they don't sing that song. Or I hope so-and-so doesn't stand up there and pray. Or somebody doesn't... You're not thinking about that stuff. You're just showing up saying, Lord, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm open. I'm listening. Speak to me. That's what it means. That's what God is trying to say to the the children of Israel as as he lays out these first four things about no other gods and not making idols and honoring the name of the Lord and... Coming, coming to rest in Him. It shows us how to love Him. Number four. 
these Ten Commandments and the rest of the law also remind us of our inability to bridge the gap between us and a holy God. Let me say that another way. The Ten Commandments, the Word of God, those truths show me that there's no way that I can live up to the standard of holiness that God calls me to. Some people say, why are all those laws and regulations in there? I don't understand. It's because God was trying to say to the children of Israel, no matter how good you are, it's not good enough. No matter how how great you think you've kept up with these, or maybe even if you go through the list of the ten here, the the Ten Commandments, how you've you've obeyed them, how you've been trying to obey them, it's never going to be enough. Jesus said it so clearly. Even if you've been angry with someone, you're guilty of murder. If you've lusted after a woman, you're guilty of adultery. No matter what we do, we cannot get to heaven on our own. Jesus kept all the Ten Commandments. He kept the law. He kept the word. He was faithful. He was perfect, but no one else has. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, it's for grace that you've been, it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith, it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. Can I paraphrase that? If I could get to heaven by myself, I'd brag about it. I'd say, look what I did. Look what I've accomplished. Look how great I am. God says, it's all, it's not about what you do. It's not about works. It's about grace. It's what God gave you that you don't deserve. The Ten Commandments remind me that there is this holy standard Paul said it another way in Romans. He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In my mind, there's this picture of a target. And that target is holiness. And no matter how good I am at shooting my arrow at that target, it's always going to fall short. It's like the fellow that tried to swim from the Pacific coast in, in California to Hawaii. He didn't get very far. And another guy comes along and says, I can swim better than he can. No matter how good the person can swim, nobody's going to make it to Hawaii. Does that make sense? That's this picture of holiness, and God says you can't do it. So part of the Ten Commandments, part of the the law, is to show us that there's no way we, in and of ourselves, can be right with God and can, can work our way to heaven. Jesus came to fulfill the law, the Bible says. He says no one will ever be made right by obeying the law alone. It comes down to Christ obeyed it, Christ fulfilled it, Christ accomplished it. In one place in the New Testament, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? The scribes and Pharisees had a religion that was all outside, it was all external. It wasn't of the heart. It was all doing things so mankind man could see them only. And there's no genuine faith. So I think about this, if I try my best to live up to these commands, it becomes an external thing. What I have to do is step back and say, there's no way that I can attain holiness by myself. I have to trust in God, to trust in what Christ has done for me. Brendan Manning tells a story that illustrates the intent of the law. I think it's in his ragamuffin gospel. He tells about the mayor of New York City back in the days of the Depression, Mayor LaGuardia, they named the airport after him. He was called the Little Flower because he was a short man and always wore a carnation. And he endeared himself to the constituents of New York City because he just was a, a, a guy that was involved in everything. They said he would ride on fire trucks to fires so that people could see him and wave at him. He joined the police on raids of speakeasies. He was a part of that in the community. says at one time, he even paid for an entire orphanage to go to a baseball game there in New York. The people loved him. One night, on a cold winter night, and I think it was February, he decided to step into the 
courtroom and kind of take over. So he went to this courtroom that was in one of the worst parts of the city. It's in 1935, and he gives the judge the night off. He says, you can take off. I've got it from here. And so he, he steps up into the judge's bench. Not too long after that, a, a woman was brought to him, kind of a ragged-looking gal. And another man brought her. The police were there. And they said, this woman stole a loaf of bread. And she needs to be punished. And the shopkeeper's there, and he's demanding that. So, so LaGuardia asked what happened here. She says, well, I'm, I'm taking care of my, my daughter, and she's sick right now. Um, she doesn't have a husband, and we're, we're alone, and, and she's got kids, and they're sick, and I'm trying to care for them, and they needed to eat, so I stole a loaf of bread. So the shopkeeper says again, she has to be punished. It's a rough neighborhood. They need to be, she needs to be made an example. So LaGuardia says, okay, uh, she's guilty, and here's the fine. $10 or 10 days in jail. And while he's saying that, he reaches into his wallet, and he gets out $10, and he says, I'm remitting her fee right here. So there, there's her, her fee's been paid. And he said, by the way, I'm finding everyone in this courtroom 50 cents because we live in a town where someone has to steal bread to feed their kids. And they gathered up money and raised about $47 that night. It made the newspaper and everybody talked about it. And, and I thought about how cool the, of a picture of what God has done for us. And he's the judge who says, this is my law. This is my standard. This is holiness. And if you can't live up to that, you're guilty. And the gavel comes down and says guilty. And then the judge steps out of the bench and says, not only are you guilty, but I'm going to pay the price for your sin. He sends his son in the person of Jesus Christ. And he gives his life for us. See, that's what God says. He says, this is how you should be. You're guilty because you can't be. But I'll step out and I'll pay the price For your fine, I'll pay your sin debt. But I'd like to wrap up that little section here as we talk about applying the Ten Commandments to us with this statement. Even under grace, we still have responsibilities and obligations to obey. Even under grace, we still have an obligation or responsibility to obey. To do what we can to obey the Ten Commandments. We can't say, well, I'm saved by grace. I can live any way I want. What did Paul say about that? After this great treatise on on grace in Romans chapter 5 and going into chapter 6 where Paul talks about how grace abounds, superabounding grace. He goes on in chapter 6 to say, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may increase? And here's his response, may it never be. There's no way that if you're a follower of Christ, you can say, I can live any way I want because God's grace will cover all my sin. That's not the life of a believer. That's the life of a person who's, who's tempting, who's testing God's grace. When I think about the Ten Commandments, I'm reminded that, that I've got responsibilities. I've got obligations as a follower of Christ to obey. How are you doing there? If you had to rank your level of obedience, not, not to get to heaven. We don't, we're not doing that. It's not by works. But as a follower of Christ... Are you walking in obedience? It's part of what the Ten Commandments remind us of. Before I wrap up, I want to give us several word pictures that will help us. I love pictures. I love stories. I love, I love visuals that help me understand how to apply something to my life. Some of these are scriptural. Others are just some, a way to kind of approach what the, the, the Ten Commandments are. So here's five word pictures that might help you as a believer understand how to relate to the Ten Commandments. First of all, the Ten Commandments served as a tutor or as a guardian. Paul said it this way. God gave the law that it could be, uh, the old translation I used to read said schoolmaster. Now they're translating it tutor or guardian to bring us to Christ. In other words, the law 
The Ten Commandments are to point the way to a relationship with God. In and of itself, that can't seal the deal because it's a guardian. It's a tutor that brings us to the edge and it's up to Christ and trusting him to make salvation sure and full in our life. But I think about the Ten Commandments and the commandments that way. That people out there who read them, who understand some about them, will know that there's a God who loves them. And it's to lead them to pursue that God. Second word picture is the picture that these Ten Commandments serve as a compass for us. You know what a compass does? It tells you where true north is. You find, you find true north, and once you've found true north, then you can navigate your way of wherever you're going. The Word of God, the Ten Commandments, is true north for the believer. If I want to step back, and you can dive into that as much as you want, and I, I thought about doing that today, but there's not time. But dive into what it means in each one of those commandments. That's true north. That's what it means to, to trust in totally, completely Christ as your source. A compass, I like that. It points direction, where my life is to be lined up with. Third word picture is a bridle, a bridle, like a, a bit in a horse's mouth that, that you're able to steer the horse to keep you in line, to keep you in bounds. When I think about my life as I, I, I look at that, the word of God becomes a bridle to me, a, something to keep me safe, to guard me, to pull me away from what might hinder and might steer me away from following God. Stuart Briscoe tells a story about a young man that came to him who was really troubled and he tried to counsel him and found out this man was having all kinds of terrible thoughts. He was having financial trouble. He was thinking about even robbing a bank. And, and so he asked him, why have you not done that? Why have you just thought about that? He said, well, he says, I know that the Bible says thou shalt not steal, so I can't do that. The word of God was a bridle to him. He wasn't even a believer, but he had heard the Ten Commandments. And he knew there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And that's a, the bridle. That's the, the steering, the guiding. The fourth word picture is... Ten Commandments can be like a thermometer in my life. What does a thermometer do? It tells you what your temperature is. It tells you if, if, you're, if your body temperature is hot or cold. I think about the, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the, the law, as a, as a barometer, as a thermometer in my life to see what the health of my heart is. The old evangelist used to say you need to have a heart, a hot heart for Christ. I like that. What 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 does your heart burn for? Your favorite football team? Some hero that you have? How much money you can make? What you're going to do with your free time? What you're going to do when you retire? What does your heart burn for? When I read the Word of God, when I read the Ten Commandments, when I look at these demands that this moral law is, is out there, it, it, it serves to... To check my heart. What really is first place in my life? Are there any idols? Have I taken time to stop and rest and rest in Christ? Am I honoring my family and just go through that whole list? A thermometer. The psalmist said it this way. Search me, O God. I think Psalm 23. Uh, a psalm. Uh, I can't remember which one it is. but Maybe 119, 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me, test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That should be my attitude as I come to God's word. God, search my heart, know me, test me, try me. Is there anything that I need to realign in my life so that I can be faithful follower of Christ? And the last picture that helps me as I think about the Ten Commandments is the word picture of a mirror. 
The Bible speaks about us looking into the Word of God and it becomes a mirror to us. What does a mirror do? It reveals your flaws. It reveals your flaws. There have been a few times where I've gotten up in the morning and I've been in a hurry and I've tried to keep the lights low because I've had to leave before the sun came up and, and I, I think I look okay. And I'm driving in my truck to my first assignment. The sun comes up and I start looking in my rearview mirror at me and I go, whoops. I didn't do too good of a job shaving that today. Or my hair looks crazy. Or there might be something, something crazy. One time I walked underneath a tree and got a big ball of fuzz in my hair from a tree. And I didn't even know it until I looked in the mirror. I thought I was fine. I thought I was okay. I felt okay. But I looked in the mirror and I realized I wasn't. Take the Ten Commandments. Look at them as a mirror. Let God use that to speak to your heart about what's right in your life and what isn't right in your life. So God established this unique relationship with his people. He gave them the Ten Commandments to let them know this is how you were to relate. This is how you're to love me. This is how you're to to relate to people around you. And these are reminders that though you can't obey them enough to get to heaven, they're reminders that this is what God requires of us. And as followers of Christ, once we've come to know him, he requires us to follow I'm going to close with this parable. I read it a few years ago. It kind of helps me. When I think about it as a Christian, how do, I, how do I deal with those commands in Scripture? This parable said there was a husband and a wife who did not love one another. The husband was very demanding. He was so demanding that he prepared a list for his wife of things that she should do for him. What time she was to wake up, what he was to have for breakfast, what she was to do with her day, how she was to clean the house, this, this meticulous list. And it was a burden to her. He insisted that she read that list over every day to be reminded of what she was supposed to be as a wife for him. If some of y'all are rolling your eyes. Not in my house, right? It's a parable. Hold on, all right? Stay with me. Eventually, that husband died. As time passed, the woman fell in love with another man who loved her dearly. They got married. That new husband did everything he could to let his wife know that he loved her, that he cherished her, that he wanted her to be happy. He showered her with love and tokens of affirmation and appreciation. One day she was cleaning house and she came across something in a drawer, that old note from her previous husband. And she pulled that old note out and as she went through it and started looking at it, she realized that almost everything in that note that were demands from her previous husband, she was doing for her second husband. But he never asked her to. It was all out of love. See the difference? God could say, this is a list of rules, you better do this. Instead, he says, I want you to know that I love you. And as a follower of Christ, this is not demand, but this is something you get to do. You get to read, you get to pray, you get to obey me. See, the commands that God gives us here are to be obeyed out of a deep desire to be pleasing to our Heavenly Father who loved us with a deep desire, with a deep passion. God so loved us that He gave His one and only Son. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank You for this reminder today from the ten words that You gave the children of Israel. Thank You for this reminder that You've established this love relationship with Your people. Thank you for the reminder that what we are to be doing 
is walking in obedience with you. Lord, I pray that as you've challenged us today, this time of commitment might be a time where we surrender all to you. Lord, as your word has been opened and shared, I pray that you're using it right now to stir hearts. I pray that you'd have your will during these moments. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. We're going to give a time of commitment. I believe the deacons are going to come stand. If you would stand to your feet. Maybe you'd say today, Brother Kevin, this morning I realized that I've been trying to get to heaven on my own. I've been trying to do good things so that God would be pleased with me and let me into heaven. And this morning I realized it's all about grace. Today I need to come and give my life to Christ and trust in what he's done on the cross. Maybe you'd say, Brother Kevin, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. I know what it means to be saved and to have the forgiveness of God. But as we've walked through the Ten Commandments this morning, God's reminded me that there's some things in my life that don't line up. I've looked at my life in the mirror of the Word of God. And I found myself to be found wanting in some areas during this time of commitment. If you would respond, these men will be here to pray with you. I'll be down here.